Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, all right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. I'm glad you're here. And as always, happy you're listening. What is it about war and the state that gets both parties aligned in lockstep the way it does? You know, there's a saying that war is the lifeblood of the state. And one of the reasons, uh, I think one of the reasons this saying uh, exists is because if if you if the if the country if the people of the country don't have an enemy then people start to question whether or not the states even need it right because the thing that people fear the most is you know some outsider aggressing against them and then the idea of the state is the state protects you but one of the things we look at when we see states around the world. And when I say state, I'm not talking about like the state of Texas or the state of Montana. I'm referring to state in the sense of France. This is the the way they thought about nation states in the 18th century. Um, These are governmental organizations that, you know, basically uh, exercise a monopoly on violence within a geographical reason region. And, you know, the, the states have always, uh, states in general have always um, uh, presumed power uh, primarily so they can uh, protect the lives and the property of their citizens. But there's something about the way our country, the state, the United States, um, the nation state of the United States, um, basically claims um, interest all over the world and both parties tend to agree and they align and uh, fund war, fund our quote-unquote interest overseas. And, you know, it's not exactly clear what our interests are in Ukraine, other than we just don't want Russia to have any influence over Ukraine. But we have sunk a lot of money into that place um, to the point where we're not spending money in other areas on our own citizens. Now, I'm not advocating that we spend a lot of money in other areas on our own citizens. But when you start to cut programs that already exist um, presumably for the reason of being able to fund something like a, a war effort, a proxy war effort waged um, by a rogue, uh, undemocratic, corrupt country like Ukraine, you know, you got to start to wonder what the motivation is. And I know there's a lot of speculation. You know, I look at Twitter, I read the internet. You know, there's there's people speculating that somehow uh, senators and Congress Congress people are 
you know, washing campaign funds through Ukraine. We've seen um, this scandal blow up with FTX uh, and Sam Bankman-Fried and all the donations that got, uh, you know, sent to various um, political campaigns via Ukraine. So basically, you know, the Congress sends tax money to Ukraine. Ukraine gives it to FTX. FTX gives it to political parties or political um, politicians running for office. In fact, uh, FTX was the second largest political donor behind um, George Soros, which is a pretty unbelievable thing, you know, when you think about it. But I thought we would delve into this a little deeper today and and we're going to use Tucker Carlson um, as a sounding board, mainly because there's just really nobody else talking about this. And, uh, you know, I personally like Tucker Carlson, but I do look for other outlets that are talking about this. And maybe there's something going on on Newsmax or, um, you know, Patriot News or something like that, but nothing in the, the top three or four news agencies. So, uh, you know, we're going to result to, uh, resort to Tucker Carlson and his report. But I think he brings up an interesting slant on the commentary. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's worth investigating and exposing the audience to it. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. So you can't even really call it news anymore. It's some kind of Lucy in the sky with diamonds scenario on display every single day. Yesterday, last night, the president of Ukraine showed up in the Congress wearing a green sweatshirt and cargo pants for maximum disrespect and demanded the United States continue to spend more on his country's border security than we spend on our own. That actually happened. It was a pretty cheeky performance if you think about it. But like Sam Bankman-Fried before him, Zelensky put a salesman's gloss on what otherwise might look very much like a scam. So the tens of billions of dollars you'll be sending me is not charity, Zelensky explained. It's not a gift. It's not like the 20 bucks you gave the homeless guy at Union Station this morning for a quart of vodka. No, it's not that at all. This money, Zelensky said, is, quote, an investment. One of the things I think about when I think about what he's talking about here is I think about how we go to the polls. I mean, this is the absurdity of our system. This is why the federal government should be infinitesimally small. But we go to the polls and we vote on a president, we vote on a senator or a congressperson, and and then we go away, right? The citizens go away. And those representatives go to uh, their, their respected office to represent us. But, you know, when we're, when we're voting for that person, are we, are we really thinking, you know, to ourselves, man, I hope we send, you know, two or $300 billion to Ukraine so that we can weaken Putin and hopefully implement a regime change in Russia. I mean, are we, are we thinking that? I mean, I know I can speak for myself. I'm not thinking about that, okay? I'm, I'm thinking that we should more or less stay out of other countries' business, just like we don't want them in our business, right? And we should basically trade with them and get along with them and, and recognize that they have a right to exist, just like we feel like we have a right to exist. But there's something about, you know, 
these people winning these elections and then just go to Washington, D.C. and proceed to do all this crazy shit in the name of, of us. Uh, I, I just think that's bizarre and weird. It's a weird system. And it, it, it only gets more weird every day. The more money that flows through Washington, the weirder the whole thing gets. And this is why I always say that, you know, if we had an honest money system, we just wouldn't direct this much money to Washington. It would, it would be impossible. The United States is flat out of money and not just in some abstract PowerPoint presentation kind of way where we show you graphs of the national debt and then we all pretend to be shocked and horrified. No, no, no. The United States is broke in a real way, meaning we can no longer afford to take care of our citizens. For example, 15 million Americans are about to lose their health care coverage under Medicaid. Now, these are people who got coverage during COVID, but will now lose that coverage thanks to provision in the $1.7 trillion spending bill that's about to become law. As CNBC reports, governors of various states have informed the Biden administration that the cost of keeping all those people on Medicaid is, quote, too high. And it is high. Undoubtedly, it is high. How high is it? Well, over the last three years since COVID began, the federal government spent about $100 billion on extra Medicaid payments to Americans. That's a lot of money. How much is it? Well, it turns out that $100 billion is roughly what Congress has sent to our fast-talking Ukrainian friend in the sweatshirt in less than a single year. Just for comparison, just so you know what the priorities are in Washington. Your health care is just too expensive, sorry, and your border is too, can't afford it. But for the strong man who runs Ukraine, no cost is too high. That's real. Does that frustrate you, just hearing the details infuriate you as a citizen? Imagine if you went to Congress to plead your case. Maybe you showed up in a sweatshirt to tell them what you think. I'm an American citizen, you might say. I've lived here my entire life. I've paid taxes. I've followed the law. I've supported the system my grandfather's built because I believed in that system. And now, because corrupt ghouls like Janet Yellen at the Fed so completely devalued the U.S. dollar and so completely hollowed out our economy, I could no longer afford to go to the doctor as an American citizen. Please help me. I think this line of thinking is is useful when you're using it to bludgeon, you know, the other side or government in general. But I, I don't think it I mean, I don't believe that we should be taking any money and, quote unquote, helping our fellow citizens. But it is interesting that people that are voted in uh, by the very people that need this help can't get the help from their own elected leaders. Uh, it's easier for, as Tucker said, the guy in the sweatshirt to come to a joint session of Congress in the United States and request money and tell everybody, you know, gaslight everybody in the chamber that uh, this is an investment. He didn't say an investment in what, or he didn't say what we're going to get for the investment. It's just some sort of abstract investment that we're supposed to believe that there'll be some benefit for Americans in the future. And who knows what that benefit is? Maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, Ukraine has agreed to let us move all our bio labs uh, into their country from China, you know, because China now it's maybe it's, it's not a hospitable place uh, to, you know, perform um, 
gain of function research on bat viruses, on coronaviruses anymore, because they let one get out and, uh, and who knows, maybe they let it get out on purpose. I, I don't really know. I don't really care. My whole point is they shouldn't be doing that in the first place. Not with my money. I didn't consent to that. The thing, the thing about our money, the taxes, uh, government in general, it's something we should consent to. And about 99.9% of what this government spends money on or where it elbows its way, its elbows its interest into, to me is illegitimate. It's just, even if you had a serious conversation about justifying it, there's no way to justify it. And, uh, and, and of course, nobody's having a serious conversation about justifying it. They're saying, well, I was voted in. And my constituents, you know, want me to vote on their behalf for what's best for the country. Well, well, I mean, how is it that sending $100 billion, you know, in a year or in six months maybe to a country that borders um, Russia, how is that a good investment? How is that a good use of our money, either now or in the future? And, and, and bottom line, this is future money. We, we weren't taxed this money. This money is, is going to come from some future version of ourselves or our families um, or in the, in the cost of inflation and the, and the goods and services that we have to buy from the economy in order to live in a modern society. I mean, these, are, these, are, these choices that, that our quote-unquote representatives are making are not without cost. I don't care if you don't pay any taxes. If you pay zero taxes, like they said Donald Trump did in 2017 or whatever year it was, it's still costing money uh, because everything that you buy to survive costs more money. And it costs more money because the value of the dollar has declined in terms of the goods and services that it purchases. So if you showed up on the floor of the House of Representatives wearing a sweatshirt and said that, what kind of response do you think you would get? Would the response look anything like this? I assure you that Ukrainian soldiers can perfectly operate American tanks and planes themselves. Thank you for both financial packages you have already provided us with and the ones you may be willing to decide on. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Well, obviously, if one of us showed up at the Capitol, you know, and tried to talk to a joint session of Congress, we would be arrested for trespassing. I mean, that's not our house, right? That's public property. But, you know, public property, by the way, you can be homeless and you can live on public, public property, but you can't go into the Capitol, which is also public property, without being arrested and confined to jail without bail for now going on, what, a little over two years? Two years. I mean, that's, that's the world we're living in today, okay? I can be homeless and go live in a public park, but I can't be an American citizen and go into the Capitol um, because 
I don't know, Nancy Pelosi says it's illegal or something. I don't know. But obviously, um, you know, the money that's going to Ukraine is neither charity nor an investment. You know, if, if I, if I steal your money, okay. If I, if I come up to you on the street and say, give me your wallet, but then I go give that money to the United way. I mean, does that make it right? I mean, that's essentially what the U S government is doing. The U S government says to you, pay your taxes or go to jail, which is, I mean, what kind of choice is that? That's not a, a choice that most of us uh, can even uh, contemplate, right? I mean, we've got families, we've got responsibilities. Can't make a choice that says pay your taxes or go to jail. I mean, the, the obvious thing is you have to pay your taxes. You just can't afford to go to jail, right? So, you know, it, it's theft, okay? Um, now, we can't... We can't uh, you know, basically demand that Zelensky understands uh, the nature of taxation, although I'm sure they tax their citizens as well. But it's certainly not an investment. An investment has a return. Uh, an investment is something you, you, you invest something today to get more in the future. We're not going to get anything more out of this deal. What we're going to get is poor. We're going to get less. Um, if you wanted to call it investment, you would have to call it an investment with a very, very negative return. Um, you know, it's, it's impossible to quantify that, but certainly it's a negative return. <laughs> We're handling your money in the most responsible way. Take our word for it. Take our word for it. Ho, 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 they love, and they clap like seals. But here's the interesting. Almost every person in the room clapped like a seal. So no matter what that man said, send me more money, I command you, send me more money, we're taking care of it the most responsible ways. They applaud, all of them, almost like they have to. Now there are 435 members of the House of Representatives and they're Republicans and Democrats. And famously they don't get along and they don't agree on anything. They can't even pass a budget because they disagree on everything, very bitterly. And yet when a foreign leader shows up in cargo pants to tell them lies and give them orders, they all applaud. That's pretty weird behavior in a democracy if you think about it. The fractious debate we hear so much about doesn't exist. Yeah, I want to speak to this divide that's in America. I, I, I don't disagree that there's a divide. I think, though, the divide is different. I think people look at it like Republicans and Democrats are divided. But I think really the divide in America has more to do with those that want to use government to provide solutions, whatever those solutions are, or they want to use force. I mean, government is force. Okay. So when I say use government to provide a solution, I'm talking about forcing, you know, with the force of law backed up by the police and guns and army uh, to implement some plan, okay? That's what I mean by force or government solutions. So that's one side of the divide. The other side of the divide is people that just want to be left alone. Hey, just leave me alone. I don't need your advice. I don't need your charity. I don't need your help. I don't need anything from you except, you know, make sure people don't come across the border 
and steal my property or take my life or the lives of the my family members. You know, do that. That's really all I want you to do. I mean, that's the divide. The divide is people who say, leave me alone, versus the people who say, or who see a government solution with every little public ill that takes place in society. That's, that's really the divide. And what's interesting about this, I think, is that when it comes to foreign policy or war, specifically, there is no divide. There is, at least not in the representatives uh, side of the equation, there's, there's only, yes, let's spend a bunch of money and wage war and ruin people's lives and ruin people's property in other countries because we have an interest. And maybe that interest is a little fuzzy. Maybe it's oil. Maybe it's minerals. Maybe, hey, they, they, don't, like, uh, they don't like France and Germany and they like Russia and Iran, so they got to be enemies. We got to wage war against them. I mean, what's interesting though is that the parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, are aligned in this particular area. So while you can find division between who wants to use the state as a as a as a tool of good versus leaving me alone, and you know, look, using the state as a tool of good. That, that, that's a huge assumption. You're assuming that the state can be used as a tool of good. What I would say to you is whatever the state thinks that it's doing is good, there's 10 other things that it's doing as a result of that one thing that are bad. <laughs> I mean, so the net-net is, is way bad. It, there, it, you can never get a net good out of the state. You just, it's impossible. It just doesn't work that way. You gotta clap, you can get in trouble if you don't clap, so everyone just claps all the time. Clapping is mandatory as long as Zelensky's speaking. Now there were a few who didn't obey. That would include Matt Gates of Florida, Lauren Boebert of Colorado. And when they didn't stand up and applaud, they found out the hard way what happens to people who dare not to applaud. NBC News went took off right after them. That was the headline for NBC. Its House historian, Michael Beschloss, declared this, quote, for any members of Congress who refuse to clap for Zelensky, we need to know from them exactly why. We need to know why. Ooh, thought crime alert. You've been reported as not applauding. Explain yourself, plebe. We're going to play some more of this in a minute, especially the comments from Michael Beschloss. But this is, there's a lot of things that converge around this little clip here. Uh, you know, the, the whole censorship debate about misinformation. You know, who gets to decide what is the right behavior, the wrong behavior, the right thing to say, the wrong thing to say? I mean, we you're going to hear in a minute this guy talk, and you're going to think to yourself, golly, this, I just can't believe this is America. You know, I mean, um, you've literally got people commenting on whether or not some politician is evil because they won't stand up and clap for some foreign dignitary that's basically, I don't know, holding us hostage uh, for more money. I, I don't know what they're, I, I, you know, maybe, 
maybe this guy knows something. Well, certainly he knows something about Biden and the Biden family. But maybe that's maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe maybe we're being extorted by Ukraine. I mean, the whole thing is a bad idea, right? Russia should have never gone into Ukraine, but we should have never done the things that we did that led to Russia feeling like they had to go into Ukraine in order to protect their interest. So there's there's no you know, there's no black hats and white hats, okay? That's just not how the world works. Um, but the thing that's almost more concerning to me, I mean, the war piece, I mean, totally concerns me. I mean, anybody that's listened to this show for any time knows that these people that will send your children uh, off to some foreign country to fight some interest that we we can't even really define most of the time, these are blood-soaked monsters, okay? But then to, I don't know, beat up on other representatives who are independent thinking and have their own opinions, beat up on them because they don't stand up and clap. I mean, this is really kind of Orwellian. And I see this in a lot of areas. I see this, I saw this around the COVID debate. Well, if you didn't stand up and salute Dr. Fauci and Deborah Burks and all those whack jobs, uh, you were you were killing fellow Americans. I mean, that's that's how they were that's how they were spinning it. Um, it, it it's insane, really, and it's certainly not the way a free society operates. I mean, in fact, it's the opposite of a free society. But listen, just listen to this guy talk for a second, and ask yourself, you know, what? How does this all end? How does, where does the United States government go from here? Does it go to just totalitarianism? Because this certainly isn't in the direction of liberty. And then Beschloss went on television to drive home the point. Our sources have reported you are not clapping. Watch this. And I think the other thing I'd like to ask is the number of members of Congress are almost all Republican who did not show up tonight or who showed up and refused to clap. I'd like to know why that was for two reasons. Number one, you're a public servant. We're, we're allowed to know those things. You're supposed to tell us if you're serving in Congress what the reason was. You know, do you love Putin or are you just opposed to democracy or is there something else? We have a right to know why you didn't clap. We have a right to know your thoughts. You thought you were a free person, able to make decisions for yourself. You could love or hate whoever you wanted in a free country, but no! Michael Beschloss has a right to know why you feel the way you do. Do you love Putin? Why wouldn't you clap for a man who banned a Christian denomination, a man who arrested priests, raided monasteries, seized churches, outlawed opposition media outlets, outlawed political parties that oppose him, threw his primary political opponent in jail? Why wouldn't you applaud for a man like that? Do you love Putin? Are you opposed to democracy? Explain yourself. If I was Matt Gates or Lauren Boebert, I, I would go on national television and I would say, Michael Beschloss doesn't need to know why I think about anything. I represent, in my, Matt Gates's case, the citizens of Florida. Or in Lo- Lauren Boebert's case, the citizens of Colorado. 
See, I, I've thought about this all the time. You know, every, every now and then there'll be something. And like right now, there's all this craziness going on with Southwest Airlines. And these politicians are running around and they want to have a hearing. They want to bring Southwest Airlines in and ask them all these questions. I mean, I, of course, I know the airline industry is 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 regulated, right? But they've done this with baseball, you know. Uh, they've done this with all kinds of industries, and I've often fantasized about sitting there in front of Congress and just firing back and saying, "Why? Why do you think you have the right to question the way I run my business? I'm not breaking any laws." not harming you. I'm not harming anybody else. You know, I don't understand where you feel like you have the authority to call me in here in front of this kangaroo court committee and ask me a bunch of questions. I mean, I would just, they would probably arrest me for contempt. I mean, that's just the way I feel about it. But I wish somebody like Matt Gates, because Matt Gates got the balls to do this. I wish he would just go on TV and say, you know what, Michael Beschloss, you don't, I don't have to answer to you. You're not the boss of me. I answer to the citizens of the state of Florida, and that's it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would use that. I mean, if I was him, I would use that as a big publicity thing, make the guy look like an idiot, go on and start to explain, you know, what do we have now? The thought police? You're going to question why I didn't stand up and clap? Maybe I didn't stand up and clap because I didn't like his green sweatshirt. You know, who cares? It doesn't, I don't have to answer to you. I mean, I would, I would make the most of it if I was Matt Gates or Lauren Boebert. I just, I wouldn't let that guy get away with talking like that without sticking my finger right in his eye. And while I was at it, I'd probably make it the middle finger. That's what he's saying. That's what they're all saying. It's absurd. What they're describing is the opposite of democracy. There's no democracy in Ukraine, obviously. Banning a Christian denomination? Shut up! But he did. So why all the hysteria? You got two people who didn't clap for a foreign dictator, and Michael Beschloss gets red in the face. Why? Oh, almost everybody clapped for him, but a couple people didn't, and Michael Beschloss can't handle that. What's going on here? Is it possible that the more ludicrous the lie they tell you, the fewer questions they can tolerate about it. It's the less dissent they can put up with because they fear the whole edifice might crumble if they allow one person to ask one reasonable question. It's possible that's what's happening. You know, I think Tucker's probably right here. I mean, I see similar kinds of um, situations around the, the censoring debate, you know, the misinformation. And I'm going to do a show on this because I just it's not clear to me why misinformation is so dangerous if it comes from the market. Now, I think it's perfectly clear why misinformation from the government is dangerous, right? I mean, we saw that during COVID. Um, it, it turns out everything, essentially, Dr. Fauci said was misinformation. Well, I think there's been plenty of evidence since then that it was dangerous to follow this information. But the reason it was dangerous is not because Dr. Fauci was wrong or is, you know, diabolical or anything like that. The reason it was dangerous to have Dr. Fauci spout all that information 
is because they had they were basically paying Twitter and sending the FBI over to Twitter and presumably all the uh, uh, social media companies to basically kill any dissent. So if there was anybody out there going, well, hold on a second. Dr. Fauci hasn't said anything about this. We don't think this is right. We don't think that's right. Anybody that said anything like that in the quote-unquote public square of Twitter or Facebook was canceled, okay? So it's not the misinformation. Like I could get on there, I could get onto Twitter and I could say something that's misinformation or disinformation. It's just flat wrong. Within an hour or two, there'll be 300 people on there telling me and everybody that read my original tweet how wrong I was. And they'll produce evidence to the fact. The problem with the government misinformation is they were controlling it. It was all about controlling the narrative. And I think this is the same way. They're trying to control the narrative. They're trying to control the narrative that Ukraine's border is, you know, sacrosanct or whatever, which is odd because ours isn't. You know, I mean, that's clear. You turn on the TV and, you know, seven to 10,000 people a day are streaming across the river, the Rio Grande, and pouring into, that's just El Paso. Forget about all the other uh, areas where people cross. That's just El Paso. So, you know, somehow we're supposed to believe that uh, Ukraine's border is, you know, a line that, you know, you just can't cross, but our border, you know, because, you know, you're, you're not, you know, you're not rolling over with a tank or something that it's okay for millions and millions of people to cross the border. And this is just ridiculous. Um, where are all these people going to live? What are they going to eat? Where are they going to go to school? This all costs money. Who's going to pay for it? <laughs> well, the answer is you are right. And we got, we have we get to say nothing about it. They could just take more of our money. Or, you know, at least inflate more of the, the value of the money away so that we have to pay for it that way. One way or the other, we're going to pay for it. And this is just, uh, you know, they're losing the narrative. I think that's what he's talking about. Is If you get one dissenting opinion, it's too much, you know, and the whole edifice crumbles. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, governments are, are uh, I mean, the, the founding documents tell us, you know, that um, governments rely on the consent of the governed. And you've got a growing number of people that think like me. I, 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 I'm not giving any consent for any of this stuff. I didn't consent for us to send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine so they can, we can fight a proxy war against Russia so that he can, what, get overthrown by his people? And then who, then who runs Russia? I mean, can we? are we sure that Putin's replacement is going to be better than Putin. I mean, how can we how can we know that? I, I think our record shows otherwise, right? We we whatever replaced Saddam Hussein was worse, right? Um, whatever replaced uh, Gaddafi in Libya was worse. I think we have a bad record when it comes to regime change, and we should stop doing this. But I don't get to say anything. Nobody cares what I say about it. Or millions of other people that that have the same thing to say about it as I do. So we're just, you know, these guys run around and talk about, oh, you're disenfranchised, you know, because you can't vote. 
look, what about the people that, like all of us, that vote, but our votes don't count because the politicians just do whatever they want to do anyway? What about that disenfranchisement? You know, so I think... I think it's like Alex Epstein talks about, you know, you, you, we got to frame all this in a way that we can argue to 100 instead of being on the defensive all the time. And I'm as bad as anybody, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I basically respond to what I'm hearing uh, when I need to be reframing what I'm hearing in a different way so that I can argue to 100 like Alex, Alex Epstein talks. And I talked about that a couple of episodes back. If you want to go, um, if you want to go look at that, it was a climate change uh, episode. Anyway, um, that's really all I have today. I mean, I was just thinking about this. I, this this thread, this common thread, is running through several uh, discussions within our public debate. If you want to call it debate, it's really not debate. It's just it's just the powerful, the 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 people in the political class, trying to set and sustain a narrative. So that they get to control what we talk about, but um, and it's working, right? Look at me. We're, we're sitting here. We're talking about it today. We're talking about what they want to talk about, and what I want to talk about is liberty. I say that liberty is, you know, popular, and everybody wants to live free, and that's a popular idea. And so, my way of arguing to one hundred is to argue against these things and argue for liberty. And property. These are these are principles that Western civilization was founded on. Well, look if you if you like the show, you know as always, you know share it, share it with your friends, share it with your family, and you know come back and listen. Those are the two things. Uh, maybe a third, if you want to write a review, you can go on to the podcatcher and write a review. But certainly those two things: sharing the show and then coming back to listen. You know if you enjoy this, if you enjoy this content and you enjoy these discussions, if it's, if it's helping you to think in a slightly different way, then come back and listen. That's, that's almost the most important thing you can do because eventually we're going we're gonna to stumble onto something that really lights your fire and really uh, puts your sharing into uh, turbo mode. So come back tomorrow and listen. And if you do, I'll be here to do it all over again.